0: Caught offside with Andrew Gunling and JJ Devaney. Oh, yes! Caught offside, just outside of New York City, apartment in Brooklyn, New York. Andrew Gunling, JJ Devaney, the Champions League knockout stages. What's up,
1: brother? Well, what's up, Andrew? Is people will be wondering why we're not in studio um, for this one, and Champions League music blaring, and and the, and the whole works. How are you doing?
0: Uh, I'm doing absolutely fine. Uh, so I, it finally happened, got COVID held out as long as I could, Yeah. Uh, myself, my kids, it it swept through. Thankfully, very thankfully, um, pretty much all, not entirely, but pretty much asymptomatic.
1: Okay. That's good. Uh,
0: My Luke, my youngest was, was entirely asymptomatic. Jack had a couple of little things and I had a couple little things, but it only—it was lasted briefly. It was nothing, 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 even remotely close to what a lot of people have had to deal with. So I'm thankful for that. I will uh, thank my vaccine and booster potentially for helping myself, yes, Jack, as well. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, all good, all good in the hood. Jack was actually able to go back to school, uh, so we're we're good, man.
1: We're that's we're, brilliant. Uh, totally good. I'm, I'm I'm glad to hear that. And the Champions League. <laughs> I just, I don't know if you feel the same way. It just seemed to creep up on us and then bang, it's back. PSG and Real Madrid yesterday. It just, I don't know. It's been gone a little while, not that long, but all of a sudden it's back. And yesterday I was just sat there watching it and thinking, This is this is some high level stuff we're watching here.
0: Yes, yes. I wonder, we're gonna talk about this. I wonder um if this is the case for you as well. The away goals rule not being a thing anymore is taking some getting used to. Like that—that yeah, is t- that a thing in my head. When Liverpool score t- the second one, I'm like a second away goal, and then I'm like, no, no, no. Actually, that wait, wait—that doesn't actually matter anymore. Like it no. takes a second now.
1: But I'm even, okay with it. By the way, um, I know some I, people are are. Saying- I think I think Miguel Delaney made a good point, and it's a point that a listener of ours brought to my attention in 2019. He was in the Amsterdam Arena for that famous, famous Lucas Mora late goal. Mm-hmm. And he remembers the singing and the chanting of the Ajax fans as the game bubbled towards a nervy, but, but you know, an Ajax win is what they all thought. When that goal went in, Andrew, the way the life was sucked out of three quarters of the stadium and the, and the corner just pops off and explodes, that is high drama. That is theatre in life that is just so rare and so wonderful and amazing. And I, I got to dig the video out. And I hope that listener still listens to us because he sent it to me. And I, I often went back and replayed it. Um, that's gone. Now that kind of edge is gone. Now he's going, going to, from a, a win to a loss with a single goal with a single, like with a, with a, a, a the, the huge swing that one goal can have That drama has now been taken away from it. Now, I'm not saying it won't be good long-term, but we have yet to see it's too soon. Um, We're going to talk about PSG and Real Madrid first. I know you want to do that before you tell everyone else what's on the pod, but there was a lot of people saying that, you know, well, Real Madrid played the way they did last night because Hey, the away goals rule is, is gone. They'll just sit in. That's not a terrible result for them. One nil at all. That is not insurmountable. And, um, they didn't, there was no incentive for them to go out and play. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying I subscribe to that. There was little incentive for them to go out and play last night when they had the away leg, keep it nice and tight, 1 0. So what? Bring them back to the burnabout.
0: Yeah. I, I, maybe we'll never know how influenced by the away goals rule that was. The only thing I would say to it is it's not the first, like we've seen Pep Guardiola do that with a, a superior Manchester City team multiple times in past years. Uh, when an away goals rule did exist in this knockout, this set of knockout stages, Bayern were on the front foot Man City scored five on the road, it, so it, I don't think you're seeing this, like we, maybe we, uh, maybe Real Madrid were going to play that way anyway, they, they yeah, well, think that PSG are more lethal in the attack, maybe they want to play the counter against them so, and think that that's the way to go, I don't know if that's an away goals rule thing that they did that
1: you No, know, you're right, and you're right to point that out, and Florentino Perez thinks it's a Carlo Ancelotti <laughs> he is apparently according to sources sources i believe raging and is and is going to cut ancelotti loose at the end of the season that is it because of that performance last night uh if that's true i would say
0: maybe an overreaction considering the fact that there's a there's a pretty good chance they're going to win the league um i know that for real madrid they are of an expectation where that's... When they have a team that's good enough to win the league, they believe that they're then inherently good enough to win other things, most notably the Champions League. So I understand why that would bother him. Uh, I would say that this round is not over yet. They're still right in it. Uh, And it could turn out to be a stroke of genius if they come back and and having only been down one goal, turn it around and and advance past PSG. So I would tell Florentino Perez to, like, you know, don't press send... Yeah, whatever
1: that the equivalent of that is in this sort of situation, he is the Lucille Bluth of European soccer. So I, I wouldn't be so sure that he he won't go ahead with this. But anyway, what else have we got in the pod? Well, let's talk about. Well, let, let's just go right into that game, okay? Because
0: uh, I mean, we're going to obviously do a lot on the pod. All the Champions League matches that took place over the past couple of days, a little bit of Premier League stuff. I have a question to ask JJ about Manchester United and the way he he treats them uh, on <laughs> social media. Um, oh, it's someone upset. There's uh, <laughs> uh, Josie Altador on the move. Uh, yeah. I have some things about that that are interesting to me. There's a great mailbag, um, where uh, I, I went, I did a bit of a deep dive on one of the questions we got, JJ. Maybe I'll tease it now. Uh, Hastings said to us any chance you guys could recommend either from experience or knowledge, a lower league match day atmosphere in England. I'll be traveling, traveling around great Britain and Wales this spring and would like a cold, a quote, cold, windy night in Stoke or the like. So I went a little deep on that. Oh, and I'm excited to, to reveal my findings,
1: which consisted
0: solely of Googling and then kind of cutting and pasting from an article. Um, Doesn't that's
1: th- that's research that yeah. you are. That is, especially um, when it comes to Aaron Rodgers. that's real research. <laughs>
0: Uh, but let's go to what was really the, uh, the high-profile fixture that we, we've been talking about, and that's PSG 1, Real Madrid 0, fun game. Uh, two, like you said, really contrasting styles in terms of the way both teams went about this. And in the end, um, it was Kylian Mbappe who rightfully got the winning goal, and he, he served it up pretty late, JJ. In fact, it was the latest winning goal in a Champions League knockout match since...
1: Something, the latest you
0: go- something you mentioned at the start of the show.
1: Oh, Lucas Mora.
0: That's right. Wow, that's right. Um, and it was uh, it was Mbappe who he was he was brilliant in this game, and the winning goal was just something. The way he split the defense. I mean, poor Lucas Vasquez was just kind of left in in the dust. Was it Lucas um, Vasquez that did the dangly leg? You yeah, to but, see that. Yeah, it was. And Mbappe, maybe Mbappe could have gone over if he wanted to but instead he kind of skipped right in between the defenders and well, he quote, said, finished brilliantly. He said, I can't
1: possibly go over and have, have, have that Argentinian clown take another penalty. That's not fair. He's not Is, a clown. Yeah. Is that a direct quote? That's not a direct quote, but I'm, I'm sure he was like, certainly Mbappe's his demeanor throughout the game was let me do this. I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. And he was locked in and focused. Uh, he was the he was the absolute apex of that attack. Uh, it's funny, Neymar comes on, Neymar's back heel finds him, so that technically counts as an assist. That little back heel out on the sideline technically oh. is an assist. Good for Neymar. Huh, interesting.
0: I, yeah. Um, but so you pose something on the rundown, JJ, when in talking about Mbappe, uh. And you said basically that pundits, and you're right. I mean, this was everywhere. The pundits were scrambling in the wake of this to crown him as the best in the world.
1: Yes, it was and almost so as let, if we... we
0: wanted. You wanted. I mean, this doesn't seem like JJ territory to dive in headfirst to those kinds of conversations. Sometimes I think you uh, you don't love the
1: kind of comparison in that oh, way. I don't. But, but you you went right for it. Did you not? Did you not find it odd though? You know, I, I never thought his stock had fallen in terms of being one of the best players in the world or, or the best player in the world. I know the summer didn't go the way he wanted it to. That Uh, hurt. I think that that really hurt. That was supposed to be his tournament. uh, I think. And I think there'll be many more from him, but I would agree that was supposed to be his tournament. Didn't quite work out that way. And, you know, not getting the move he wanted. He clearly wants out of Paris. And I think you put that all together and it's been a bit, you know, he's been a bit indifferent in a side that's been struggling to accommodate the stars that now make up its front three, although they appear to be hitting a bit of stride now. But again, too, what what applies, you know, we had that lengthy conversation about Neymar last
0: week and we said that sometimes with Neymar, the great stuff that he does occurs in the shadows because of where he's doing it. And so if it applies to Neymar, it does apply to Mbappe as well.
1: It's funny you should say that because Jamie Carragher said if he wants to be, and this was the direct, um, the direct outcome of their conversation on the Paramount coverage, if he wants to be considered the best player in the world, then he can no longer be in France. He can no longer play straight in league on. And I would, I would tend to subscribe to that, in the same way that Ronaldinho, even though, even though Paris Saint Germain are a much much bigger club and a much more um, important club now than they were when Ronaldinho was there, he had, he had to go to Barcelona. He had to leave Legon to really, to, you know, and, and Real Madrid will be his destination. It's, it seems as if whatever financials need to be figured out, this will be forced through. This will happen at some point. Um, But I just, I just thought, you know, the way everybody decided after this, this performance that he is now the best in the world. I just thought this is, this is what we've created in the game. These wild swings, these yes. huge ups and downs, you know, take away nuance, take it, you know, it's very much you're only as good as your last game. There's no long view in soccer anymore. It's gone. It's, it's, uh, so I I just found it curious. That's why I added it to the rundown. I actually don't think, I mean, I, my opinion of him did not drop that significantly. I think my opinion of his circumstance and the corner he'd been painted into a little bit of PSG was the problem and, and might even continue to be the problem. But, uh, you know, in terms of raw talent, he's he's just he's phenomenal when he gets in uh, in stride. So for me, if we were going
0: to have that conversation, I didn't I didn't go really deep on this. But here would be my group, like my my category of of the players who are in that conversation. Um, Mbappe is one of them. And Mm -hmm. by the way, this is kind of just like a snapshot of now. Um, this is not like, I'm not taking like a five year period or anything like this is just like, here we are right now. And okay. these are the five that I think are in the conversation for best in the world. Mbappe is there. He's got 22 goals and 14 assists in all competitions this year. Brilliant. Uh, I think Kareem Benzema is there right now, 24 goals, eight assists in all competitions so far this season. Uh, Robert Lewandowski again, ridiculous uh 26 goals in 22 bundesliga matches 37 goals in all competitions crazy uh mo Salah, definitely in that conversation best player in the premier league right now which we consider to be the best league in the world 24 goals nine assists in the prem and champions league combined and i put holland erling holland in there as well 23 goals six assists in all competitions um i mean right now and look my list you know me i'm a soccer simpleton i say all the time that I believe the hardest thing you can do in this sport is score a goal. So yes, my list is heavily biased towards the guys who do that. There's not a defender to be found there. There's no goalkeeper to be found there. I didn't even put a midfielder in there. I went with straight up who are the great goal scorers right now, because I just value that in a way that I probably put up ahead of, of other things. Like I know over the summer, people were having a love affair with Jorginho. Yeah. uh, He wouldn't make this list for me. When N'Golo Conte is doing like N'Golo Conte things, he's, He's absolutely on this list for me. Right. Uh, but he's, I just haven't found that to be the case right now. So that was what I went with.
1: Um, you'll see, no, there's no Messi on there. Not right now. Yeah. I wanted to talk about that because again, uh, Senor had <laughs> he just was dropping these amazing little, little nuggets throughout. Um, shadow of his former self. And he talked about how Messi, he talked with Thierry Henry about how Messi has to drop deeper to get on the ball because he no longer has the pace. To do things or to get the ball in advanced areas, which I, I I always thought Messi liked to drop deep anyway, get involved. Like it's it's not a rare thing to see. But do you know what struck me way more than that? Hmm. When he missed the penalty, why first of all, why is he still taking penalties? This is just something he's not good at, which I don't makes know no if he's sense. He's
0: as bad as as you're saying. Hadn't I thought I saw that he converted his last
1: four? Well, I think he's missed three in his last nine or something. Oh, so I that's maybe, a, maybe I was looking at something. Different. That's not great, Andrew. You know, that's a third. Um, <laughs> especially when there are other options in that team that could roll mm-hmm. a penalty home. And Miguel Delaney said, it's amazing how possibly the greatest person ever at kicking a ball is so bad at the most basic act in football, just kicking the ball at goal from 12 yards. But what I found interesting was his reaction afterwards was where he it, he looked panicked he looked genuinely anguished and panicked not calm not cooler collected at one point on the edge of the box there was a really good chance for I can't remember who it was and he just he just tries to bundle that player out of the way and take the ball on himself and he slashes at the ball he suddenly becomes like very aware of what the reaction will be you know messy missing again you know choking it's as if that all was in his head because he had this this look of um, of panic, like I said, that the one of the best players we've ever seen just shouldn't have. Yeah, he
0: might think
1: that because he's at
0: PSG, the Champions League matches are the ones where he needs he really needs to be himself, and not I, just the Champions League match, but against his old enemy in Real Madrid.
1: One hundred percent.
0: So that I, could exist. The only reason that I would say, um, Jamie Carragher's comments felt maybe slightly harsh. Uh, is only because, I mean, look. So he Messi started twelve of twenty four matches so far this season in league. So new team, new league, new country, new system. After an entire life doing it one way, like trying to transition into that while dealing with an injury that's caused you to miss half your team's games is it's probably not well suited to just like come in and and continue being the greatest player we've ever seen. So. Like if that qualifies for him being a, a, would you say a shell of his former self or a shadow Shadow of of his his former self? Yeah. Like, yeah, maybe if we're going to compare it to his former self being the greatest player the world's ever seen. Yeah. I I suppose that's accurate, but you know, I think I did see now, some of this is weighted by the fact that he took a penalty, but I think Messi himself had an XG of 1.13 in this game. So it's not like he's not involved. It's not like he's not doing things out there. He's just not finishing really in the way that, we were accustomed to seeing in the past.
1: He did one brilliant thing where he's got, he's on the left-hand side of the penalty box in the penalty box. And he takes two guys on and Andrew, just the, the angles, Mm -hmm. the geometry of of what he did, the physics of it was he plays this brilliant cross, which nobody read and nobody got on the end of it between two defenders with the, with the outside of his left foot. Like he, so he's running along and he just flicks it. Between the two defenders, and it turns into this brilliant cross. Nobody read it because it's almost, it's just, it's like Sir Isaac Newton telling the townsfolk about gravity. Hey, there's this thing called gravity, and, and their minds are just exploding. They, they don't know what he's talking about. Well, they Graham Hunter,
0: see. I always remember what Graham Hunter told us about Messi, that he he speaks his own language on the field. Yeah. And not everyone else can translate that language and maybe right now again hasn't played a ton of games this season for psg so there's a lot of guys who are still learning it
1: uh real madrid we mentioned this earlier though but um i wanted to bring it up with you can you know conservative negative approach mm-hmm. i mean did ancelotti get it wrong can you really get it wrong at just one nil down so a
0: couple of things just to sort of put in perspective what you're talking about because you noticed it like it wasn't something you expected to see. It's just not the way Real Madrid typically play, especially when they're, when they're good Real Madrid, like they're going like we said, they're probably going to win their league. So it's just not, it's not something you would have thought you'd see. And 30 minutes in care to guess JJ, what the statistic was through 30 minutes of passes completed in the attacking third.
1: Oh no, I have no idea. 83 to one. Oh God. <laughs> Real Madrid. Yeah, and you had, look, you had a a team that had Luka Modric, Vinicius Jr., Karim Benzema, Asensio starting. Yeah. Like, it really was a visible kind of, okay, we're going to let them come at us. We're going to have two blocks of four. And now Courtois afterwards said, you know what? Now, this makes me think, that they had a plan and it just didn't work because Courtois said, Yeah, we didn't connect passes well on the break. Uh, if you're watching that game, it did not look like they even tried to do that. You know, there was the odd time Vinicius would come carrying the ball and run into a few tackles, give it up, and then it just went back the other way. I mean, it was, it was pretty much wave after wave of, of PSG attack. I mean, Real Madrid didn't have a shot on target. Unbelievable. Um, yeah. Julian
0: Loren, who's really good at ESPN. FC he he wrote about this game and he pointed out a few things that are I mean that are important when talking about this he writes 39 touches in the box for PSG to 7 for Madrid 1.87 xg to 0.10 21 shots to 3 never had the Parisians had so many shots in a European knockout game before in their history but the most revealing stat is without a doubt the 16 balls they recovered in the final third of the pitch Again, numbers at PSG had never racked up at this stage of the competition. These are ball recovery figures you would expect from Man City or Liverpool. They forced the leaders of La Liga leader, they forced the leaders of La Liga into making mistakes, um, which is I mean,
1: to yeah, see that's the opposite those... view. That's the opposite view that where this was not a tactical decision by Real Madrid, this was them being stifled by the game plan of PSG. I, I think it might be a little bit of both, to be yeah. perfectly honest with you. Yeah, that could be. But then, Julian, he
0: also says one other thing that I wanted to ask you about. Um, he said, uh, in talking about PSG and their dominance, he said they were helped by the tactics from Madrid manager Carlo Ancelotti, who set up his team far too deep and played right into PSG's hands. Why such a negative approach? Even with Kareem Benzema not fully fit, it was a big mistake made by the coach uh, and, and one that could cost them dearly in three weeks in the return leg at the Bernabeu. Um, the only reason I, I bring that up in a semi-inquisitive way is because like to to really go in on ancelotti with this okay yeah it was strange to me that real madrid played that way it was it was jarring um but they were 30 seconds from i know from going but- down as like the narrative on that could have just as easily in 30 seconds time have been genius he got out of the arguably going on the road against the most dangerous attack the game has today and got a nil-nil, and now they're going to go home uh, and away goals don't matter if PSG score, like, score in Real Madrid. So it was that close, if not for a, a brilliant moment from maybe the best player in the world in Mbappe. I feel like a lot of people, while saying that it was a strange approach from Real Madrid, might have been writing the opposite story about Ancelotti. Um,
1: uh- I'm not so sure. This is Real Madrid as as and I, just as a footballing institution, there were a lot of people who would be more than jared. They would have been offended by the way they played. <laughs> the second thing is you're forgetting the missed penalty. It's not uh-huh. like that's true. It's, it's not like Mbappe didn't put um, Carvajal on toast, give uh, g- gained the penalty. I mean, that should have been one 0 at that point. Then what? So I don't know, but um, you know, a second leg that is it's still in the balance, and 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 that is. That is really good. One thing uh,
0: before we move off of this in talking about the second leg, um, obviously Real Madrid are still in this. I would expect it to be a a fun game. And with them being down, it's obviously going to have to be a more open game. So I'm kind of grateful to Mbappe for scoring late because we're assured of Real Madrid having to go for it. The only thing I worry about for Real Madrid, Casemiro is going to miss the second leg. Uh, That against PSG in particular would worry me to not have that rock in the middle.
1: Um, yeah, so that's uh, that's going to be a problem. Um, but yeah. uh, you know, just an- another little interesting wrinkle in this one.
0: Uh, do You want to? Where did you want to go next, JJ? You want to stay with the, the Tuesday matches and quickly do a little on Manchester City's thrashing of Sporting Lisbon?
1: We do City quickly because yeah. I don't know if I. I obviously it wasn't the game I choose. I choose to to watch, mm-hmm. but there was some significant things happened in it, and probably some disturbing things. Uh, we, and I, uh, by the way, I include Liverpool in, 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 this, in this disturbance, uh, but we'll get to them. So can, I, can we quickly do uh, Lisbon and Manchester yeah, City? Yeah,
0: I don't have much on it. The only things I would say, uh, a sneaky stat that I came across, because I don't think that any, anyone would have thought this, but uh, only Mo Salah has more goals than Riyad Mahrez, JJ, for a Premier League team across all competitions this season. Yeah, I, w- I, I wouldn't have even known that. He's, he's been brilliant. And because it's Man City, I feel like, unless it's De Bruyne, who over, the, over a generation has kind of stood out above the rest, Man City is just such a machine that, like... There's no standing out. Right, they all just kind of, like, fallen... Like, it, it's... I don't know, I, I guess I wouldn't have noticed that, but he's had they an were unbelievable
1: a, season. Look at, look at Bernardo Silva talking yeah. about selling him. That's the rumor that's going around. Look how, look how he's functioning. You, really had you just come in, yesterday. you assimilate, and you play well, and, and that's it. You're part of the machine. Uh, there were records broken by Pep's men yesterday. Um, again, some of them concerning for the, in the broader uh, picture for European soccer. No site has ever gone into halftime with that margin of a lead in a UEFA Champions League knockout phase game. 4-0. That that's surprises me a little, but that's never happened. Yeah. It's, I mean, these this is levels of of dominance uh, in a game that we haven't seen. City became the fastest team to 200 goals in UEFA Champions League history, reaching that mark in just 97 games. Hmm. They've only been a Champions League club for since what? For a decade. Yeah. And they're the quickest to get to 200 goals. Yeah, that hmm. that sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, not shocking yeah but you know you would like to think at this point in the competition the the you know the wheat has been separated from the chaff this is going to be uh more a game of equals but it's really not the case and well they
0: they also happen to be no offense but they happen to be matched up against a side that is probably more prone to this
1: than a a, if they got matched up with Bayern or yes but we've seen, and we've seen Liverpool uh, dispense with the Portuguese champions at this point in in, in a competition too. So it's it's not on it's not unheard of that this would happen. But the fact that English teams do this so regularly is, you know, um, anyway. Well, I think I'll, the I'll thing for me,
0: one. while you're while you're mentioning distinctions with Manchester City, uh, those records are obviously eye opening. Not altogether stunning, but certainly eye opening the stat that I saw around this that I was kind of like, sheesh, Uh, JJ, this was the seventh time Manchester city scored three or more goals in the first half in a game uh, this season.
1: Like that's, um,
0: that's just like
1: putting teams to bed before they've even like really got their day started. Those are, those are Scottish premier league stats that you expect from Rangers or Celtic in their pomp. That's, that's what those are.
0: I mean, seven times this season
1: and we're all like, they just Pep said Pep said afterwards, and this is a nice segue into Liverpool today. When asked who could stop his team winning the Champions League this season, Guardiola said, "Liverpool. They are our biggest rivals in the last few seasons. They are always there. They are a pain in the ass all the time. They are a fantastic team." He's right. They're not gonna like. They're
0: great. They would be my my pick right now if I had to make one. I think. Um, feel but I don't think I don't think they're gonna waltz to this. I don't know because. Like that.
1: No, but they do feel right now, and they have felt like this before in previous seasons. Overwhelming, uh, but what may overwhelm the whole project is Pep Brand when he gets matched up with some team in the semi-final this des- or a final and decides to throw everything he's done throughout the season out the window in some kind of obscure way. Uh, maybe he won't play a centre-back. Maybe he won't start a goalkeeper. We <laughs> just don't know. Maybe he'll. Maybe he'll tell the centre forward to sit on a deck chair and read the you know the london evening standard for the first half don't do anything you just don't know what he'll do um and that i think uh i think that's their biggest threat but anyway, such a weird part of his legacy it is a fun part though it keeps us guessing we never yeah. know what's next over an <laughs> over analysis will happen at some point uh
0: let's talk about that team that he uh that he finds to be potentially most threatening to his own. And that is Liverpool. Yeah, we're go to
1: Milan and, and
0: come home to no winners.
1: Yes. Yes. A pain to Pep Guardiola, this Liverpool team, a fly that keeps buzzing at their large and quite scary project. This was a game, Andrew, in which Inter had so much more of what we would call the general play, had a really good chance, uh, in the first half where they hit the crossbar from a volley Mm. generally looked much more quote unquote at it than Liverpool did, but did not register a shot on target for the entire game registered tiny XG. Like this was one of those games that you always talk about in soccer where there's dominance. And then there's almost, I want to call it futile dominance where you don't really create that many chances. The ones you do, you don't take. And then the, the opposition goes down the field and scores two goals. Um, this was a classic example of that. And, um, and I wouldn't fancy Internau to do anything very much in the return leg. That's, that's I don't, I don't fa- think
0: you can classify this as either. I mean, whether it's dominance, futile dominance, like that doesn't, that's not, you know what I keep saying, that possession doesn't matter. Like it's just not a statistic that I even really care about anymore. Uh, if you're not going to do anything with it. And if you right. look at yeah. Liverpool's chances, I mean, really Liverpool could have scored more. Sadio Mane had a free header. Yeah. That he put over the bar early in well, this one. I mean, you know, Trent Alexander Arnold had a free kick from like perfect scoring distance for guy for a guy like him that he put just wide. You know, they
1: Liverpool had better chances than Inter had if we're talking about goals that weren't scored. Well, uh, I mean Challonaglu's volley that hit the crossbar. I mean, yeah, if that, that goes in early in the game, it's a different it might be a different story. And I thought Inter generally looked good. But uh, it doesn't matter how you look if you don't put the ball in the net. No, or even really come close. They had
0: one that came close and I'm trying to think of others. Latoura Martinez had one uh, early on
1: that kind of whizzed by the post. Uh, But yeah, there was a lovely, there was a a point, Andrew, where um, I I, I thought Liverpool couldn't, couldn't keep getting away with it where Trent Alexander Arnold was really advanced on the right-hand side and he had more Salah, Harvey Elliott in front of him. So they're not going to do a, a heck of a lot for you defensively. They're going to try. I'm not saying they won't, but, and he kept getting caught out by the diagonal ball that was coming to Perisic, and he, Perisic took this lovely touch and whipped across in Martinez, uh, Lartura Martinez didn't get near it. And I thought if they keep doing this, they'll surely get through. And they didn't. And you're right. They didn't really create a massive chance. I have one, before we move on uh, from this one, I have one interesting
0: uh, J.J. Andrew Liverpool Tottenham trivia for you. Okay. So keep that in your mind. That That is part of the answer here. Per Opta, J.J., Mohamed Salah is only the second player to score against both AC Milan and Inter Milan in the same Champions League season since this player did it for Spurs in 2010-2011. Peter Crouch. That's right. We. That's right.
1: Uh, Crouchy, you know, Nico Crenshaw, you know. Well, you know.
0: <laughs> JJ goes right into his red nap. Uh, so, <laughs> Liverpool, they look to be in the driver's seat. Uh, there's, I mean, look, Inter are a nice team, definitely. Um, but it's hard for me to envision going back to Anfield and turning that around. Stranger but things just to- happen, but I'd be
1: surprised. Before we move on, can I just tie the ball together, Andrew? This is sure. Inter, right? Who are the champions? And up front, like Lutura Martinez is a, is a is a good player. Don't get me wrong, but Eden Hazard thirty six. That's who they have leading the line, right? That's who they were playing at times. Long balls over the top to Perisic, well into his thirties now as well, trying to do that same thing with him. Um, I, I'm not I'm not having a goal, but no, look think... who they brought on late, L- look Alexis Sanchez, and like right, but look who Liverpool are bringing on. Liverpool just go out and buy the top one of the top prospects. Uh, or one of the top players, uh, Diaz, and bring him into the side, bring him off the bench there. Not you to know, mention Firmino, too, right? Who was like a cornerstone of one of the greatest teams in Liverpool history that is now and, a role Exactly, player. Exactly. And so you look at that, and then you look at Manchester City, and Liverpool can play bad at the San Siro away from home and still win that game. And Manchester City can be 4-0 up against the champions of Portugal at halftime. No. The imbalance in this whole thing is growing. And the super league is upon us and it is the premier league. It's already there. It's just in another name. And I honestly think the next iteration of a breakaway probably needs to be a movement from below. You know, I mean, these guys are already in a league of their own. Uh,
0: Finally, JJ Red Bull Salzburg, Bayern Munich, one, one fun game. Uh, Brendan Aronson, Oh, if you were to talk to a Bayern supporter right now, they would probably say, boy, that guy was a he was a problem. Registered the assist for Salzburg's goal, felt like he was a part of a lot of the action, felt felt some pride, JJ,
1: watching him out there. Uh, Andrew, he was absolutely brilliant. And, you know, the energy in that Salzburg team, the relentless running, the pressing uh, at one moment, he he, you know, it's so unbelievable. He just closes this guy down. It feels as if, I can't remember which defender it was for, for Munich on the left-hand side. And it seems as if he's got plenty of time to clear this. Oh, up, pops Aronson, blocks it, and straight away they're in. It was absolutely relentless football uh, from Salzburg. And he was key. And, and by the way, there was some somebody on the Paramount coverage questioned whether that was an assist. Or whether he meant, sorry, whether he meant to play that ball uh, into the path of the Salzburg player for the, for the goal. He absolutely did. In fact, that little touch tees it up perfectly. It's it's insane to me that uh Thierry Henry would even question that. <laughs> really frustrating draw for them to fend
0: off Bayern. And Byron, you know, to their credit, I mean, they they came at Salzburg, they went down a goal in the 21st, and then they kind of wave after wave. I mean, they they were relentless in their own right, the way Bayern are. Kingsley Coleman in particular, who wound up who wound up getting the goal. Uh, he was fantastic in this game, a constant threat on the left side um, for Bayern. And they do eventually break through courtesy of Coleman. But that's, boy, that for, for a smaller-ish club like Salzburg to fight like that against Bayern, to have it only come up as a draw,
1: knowing that they got to go back to the Allianz Arena uh, for the second leg, that's, that's a tough blow. It is a tough blow. And I, I can tell you right now that losing Aronson Adeyemi and Adamu, which they invariably will know because the spotlight's on them. We already heard Leeds are in for Aronson. That's going to happen too. So Red Bull Salzburg will have to go back to the drawing board and find find those three players because from the performances that were put in tonight, they're on their way. Andrew, I enjoy that venue, by the way. You like that venue? Yeah, I don't know the aesthetics of it, the noise. Yeah, um, you don't, don't find think. it plastic or corporate or completely invented. Oh, that's All not. Right. But that I, guess so. I mean. <laughs> Never mind, everyone. <laughs> Sorry, I uh, no emphatically I, uh, shot no, me down. No, I'm not. I'm not saying that. Look at the literature online around uh, the Red Bull Project, Andrew. You're not gonna.
0: Well, I'm not, not really talking about many- the
1: club. I just yeah, talking no.
0: about the the setting. I don't know. I just feel like the crowd is kind of like in tight on the sides. Yeah, um, soccer so specific. I, yeah, I like yeah. you know the the square or the the rectangular. You know. Design uh, just just looked good to me.
1: Andrew likes squares.
0: Didn't, didn't realize I was going to have to uh, justify my opinion on something so subjective. Uh, it's fun doing this show. Oftentimes, uh, let's see. Before we move off of European club competition, JJ, I know you wanted to mention a little bit about the Europa League.
1: Yeah, there is. There's some what I would call sensual ties uh, coming up tomorrow: Barcelona and Napoli. If that doesn't get you get you excited, a classic Europa will. League clash. Well, it's the Maradona derby as he graced uh, both teams. Uh, one with more distinction than the other, I would say. But uh, nevertheless, it's it's just you look at the the list of games. That's at twelve forty-five p.m. Eastern tomorrow on Paramount, and you, you look at that one and you're like, this should not be in the Europa League. Right? It, this is this is. But it, but it doesn't mean you can't enjoy it. I think that's going to be that's going to be a fun one. Napoli flying high in Syria as well, and uh, Barcelona trying to continue the javi uh renaissance i saw
0: he made some comment to the effect of hearing the champions league music uh, made him him angry yeah
1: yeah yeah i'm I'm sure sure no i'm sure it does um that's all he ever really played i would have played a couple of UEFA cup games i I suppose as a player so that's not i was going to say that's the only thing he ever knew but that's not true um but yeah it's the thing that Uh, Barcelona are synonymous with Uh, Dortmund they will host Glasgow Rangers by the Um, way
0: I'm sorry Real quick not to uh,
1: I don't mean to cut You off there but
0: um, I would say this to Javi He better He might want to take like I'm Not saying he's not but I think Barcelona Might need to take this competition Seriously like they're 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 right on the Edge right now like they're part Of a legitimate race for top four In La Liga and so, you know, most people would look at the Europa League, see Barcelona there and say, okay, they've got to be one, one of the two favorites, them or maybe Borussia Dortmund. Um, I mean, Sevilla are always great in this
1: competition as well, but like that may be, that may wind up being their their route in to the Champions League next year. No, and I'm sure, I'm sure they're very well aware of that. By the way, I said, this is, this is the kind of talk you get from me. The Javi Renaissance is not, it's not a renaissance yet, JJ, calm down. Yeah, but I, I definitely think that that's an avenue back to where they want to be, Andrew. And like you said, things are not assured in La Liga for them. Um, just on Dortmund Rangers, I'd forgotten this, or maybe I never knew it, but I was listening to um, Giovanni van Bronckhurst, the Rangers manager. And um, Gio Reyna will come up against the man he was named after, which is Giovanni van Bronckhurst. And mm. um, his father, Claudio Reyna, was, of course, teammates and friends with Van Bronckhorst at Rangers in the early 2000s. I didn't know they were that good of friends. I did not know that Gio Reyna, Giovanni Reyna, was named after um, the Dutchman. Uh, Van Bronckhorst described it as a special moment for both families to face each other, and an honor to have had Reyna Reyna the Younger named after him. That's That's amazing. That is cool. I don't think
0: I knew that either, actually.
1: No. That's pretty special. And um, it's... uh, (laughs) I mean, when you think of what the players Rangers had, though, at that point, I mean, Celtic too, but Claudio Reyna was in the midfield. Van Bronckhorst was a fullback. They had, they had some good players, man. It was uh, that was a fun time in Scottish football. Yeah. Um, but yes, um, uh, one more tasty tie, Porto and Lazio. That could be a good one. And also Orby Leipzig and uh, Real Sociedad. So um, the Europa League, brightening up your Thursdays. There you go. Let's
0: take a break. We'll come back on the other side. Couple Premier League things to go through. We got a nice mailbag. bag. Uh, so still, still, really a bunch to do. Actually, so as we say, don't go anywhere. Back now on Caught Offside, JJ. I know. Uh, I know. There's been a little bit of skepticism on this podcast about Frank Lampard. Yeah, um, and a his and his appointment from you too, by the way. Um, I don't remember what I said about that. I, I come out with opinions and I immediately, I, my memory of what I said on them <laughs> disintegrates. Um, but, but so far, I mean, there's been, there was a bump in the road, but started well. And then again, over the weekend, Frank and Everton looking energized in a way
1: that, uh, they were not in the earlier part of the season. Yeah. And it, it wasn't just that they won. They, they look good doing it. Uh, Donny van Der Beek looked pretty good in the midfield and generally Andrew they moved the ball and created things in a way that I have not seen Everton do in at least five years, six years longer so I'm going to give Frank some credit for that That I'm calling it the new Frank bounce um, not that they really had an old Frank but it's the new Frank bounce, that's what I'm calling it All
0: right, I like it uh, okay. Donny Van de Beek has a, has the potential here to make Manchester United look bad in a, a incredibly profound way. Make them look worse. All right, worse. However you want to say it, because there's just there are just too many people as he was rotting away on their bench that were screaming for him to play. Yeah, and so if this goes the way that it looks like it could, where he not only plays for Everton but is a huge part of whatever success they might experience.
1: Those people are not going to forget that he but was Andrew, there. Remember what I remember talking privately to you and on the podcast about this Saying They got Danny, Donny Van Beek for 40 million. That I didn't is know just, what to do with him. That is brilliant business for United. But who got him? Because Ole Gunnar Solskjaer never wanted anything to do with him. Clearly, he wasn't his signing. He was somebody upstairs and he was just there twiddling his thumbs looking depressed on the sideline, looking depressed in a tracksuit in Gdansk. I mean, he's just, I don't know. I, 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 thought, I thought United done great business there, and the manager clearly didn't.
0: Yeah, uh, clearly. Um, and we'll see now. I mean, so far, his start has been bright for Everton, and uh, he's, just, he's just reveling in that new Frank bounce.
1: Copyright J.J. Devaney. Can we start using that Lampard and Gerard watch again? I think we can. No, they're in the same league. Yeah, I guess so. Probably should.
0: Um, JJ Manchester United, they uh, pick up an important three points definitely midweek, and um, so I noticed something. I was on Twitter. Yeah. Um, and uh, that game had ended, and it's it felt like a good win for United, and and United uh, put out a tweet that seemed I don't know fairly fairly benign. I would say yeah. they uh, they what was it they said they just kind of simply said who scored they said you mm-hmm. know ronaldo and bruno and an important yeah. three points exclamation yeah, mark big, and big three
1: points nothing Definitely. wrong with
0: that which which leads to a new segment i think that we should <laughs> debut right now called uh social media jj is the worst version of jj
1: oh no well, too That's... <laughs> because you then respond there are many to... worse versions of me and <laughs> you've met some of them
0: because you then responded to that tweet from United, which again was mm. felt benign, um, by sarcastically tweeting, they won a game, exclamation mark. Well, can I give Talk you some... Con- what, what's going on here? Because you were then, you were attacked. And I thought rightfully so. I was attacked
1: honest. by a friend of yours who... Yeah. Uh, you know... He's on he, to you. Nice guy that he is, is just like trying to repackage a season, you know, for United as, you know, hey... <laughs> what this team is achieving, that they're even in the hunt for four places. Oh, you know, unbelievable. The little engine that could, you know, stop that. Don't bring that around here. that nonsense. But anyway, um, no, I, I, I've been conditioned because I've been, been imbibing so much Manchester United like content over the last few weeks. Um, the, reason I, the reason I tweeted they won a game, I had listened the day before to Andy Mitten, the editor of United We Stand, uh, the fanzine. And I thought he was very interesting because he was asked, on the otb podcast how you know when is the when is the corner coming from united that Rania can turn where they are upwardly mobile i mean they would drawn at burnley drawn at home to southampton had lost in 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 the cup to Middlesbrough, all in the space of like 10 days Mm -hmm. and so there was a he goes his response was andy's response was it feels as if we're gonna just get a point every game from now until the end of the season And he was talking about the fans and supporters he talked to. And that was in my mind when I was like, they won again. And that's why I I tweeted out. But the bottom line is that one of the worst things we probably did on this podcast, eh, maybe not the worst thing. It's had good angles too. But when you reveal your fandom to people out there, they automatically see bias straight away. I've said on this podcast before, like I love Manchester United. They're one of the most amazing football clubs. And, and I've had to live through their dominance. You know, I've, I've seen them be good. And I've also seen Liverpool be bad. And I know when a team's bad. And I called United. Like, we, months before this collapse happened in their season, before Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was fired, I called it. And you can't say I didn't. I said it at the start of the season. I said it even last May. I said that second-place finish is a mirage. It is not real. This team is not that good. And I've been proven right. So maybe it's bias, guys. Or maybe I know something about what I'm talking about. Or it's both. It could be both. Or it could be both. It Mm -hmm. could be both. But I've been very even-handed with them. To the point where like, there's United fans.
0: I I think that you are... Understating it a little, I think you do relish in their misery.
1: Oh, that is different from co- like you can call something correctly and and absolutely relish in it. It's absolutely hilarious what's happened to them. Okay, well, <laughs> they, well it, I but, think but, that is what United fans are, are honing. Oh, in that's on. what they're latching onto. But yeah. I will not allow them to say that it's biased because it's not. What's okay. happening at the club is bad. Now that was an important three points, and I, I, when you think of the way Spurs are floundering, West Ham probably won't have enough to do it. Wolves, as good as they've been under Bruno Large, they're probably not going to do it either. So United are in pole position. It's, it's only right now, as we sit here, it's only really Arsenal who have three games in hand on United that can trouble them. If United can get a run together, they can finish top four. Um, but yeah, the wind distracted from another uh, week of leaks from the good ship Old Trafford, oh. um, where, where we had... Poor Chris Armas compared to Ted Lasso. By the way, are are we sure that's an insult? That's an absolute insult. Okay, just making sure. Yeah, that's an insult. Don't forget that whatever you think about the show, Ted Lasso is a guy who jettisons in from America to a club, AFC Richmond, who doesn't know anything about soccer, and he's jettisoned in to do what? To bring the club
0: down. I just wonder if we're in a time right now where any American voice in a European locker room is going to be made fun of and called ted lasso if ted lasso is is, if ted lasso is is so the power of that show is so great that that's just
1: like you're going to be called that still yeah i mean i guess you know what that's a good point maybe it's just a cultural reference point but the other quotes that have leaked from the good ship old trafford like Ranyak's training methods that's not good calling them old and antiquated and boring um Gary Neville said that he saw this in the last days of Andrzej wielicz Um, Players, agents, and PR teams were briefing the media on a match day about what was going on inside a club. And it was the first time I had seen it and known for it to happen. It really unnerved me. This is happening at Manchester United right now. They're at it. The PR teams, the agents, the marketing teams, as self-preservation for their own player. But what they do not realize is that, unfortunately, when they go to the media, then those media people go to us. So we know who is briefing. The reality is we do not like it, but we know who it is. I would kill to know what players these leaks are coming from. If we, if we were to just do it, who who would you think is leaking for Manchester United about the manager?
0: Well, I mean like Martial, uh Lingard. Um like I just think of the players who are who are vocally disgruntled.
1: Yeah. I mean, those would be um, martial has gone now, but yeah, he was right. Like, but like I, he, was yeah, but there right.
0: was stuff before he left. Um, so <clears throat> you know, maybe that's not fair. But you know, when you kind of know that there's specific players that aren't happy with what's going on, then Ronaldo, maybe I, I don't know. Yeah, maybe um, Bruno Fernandes. I mean, you're, these are guys who would be candidates simply because like like especially ronaldo is kind of like there's legacy on the line here um, yeah you know so self-preservation mode makes sense yes for a player of his quality uh, for it to not be going well then like you could you could under, you could see someone of that level wanting it out there as to why it's not uh, they're yeah. not used to taking bullets that's so, true uh, but I don't know. It's probably I don't know if this is a fair exercise in trying to in trying to publicly identify leaks when we really have no clue.
1: <laughs> we're just we're we're not doing that. All we're saying is, hey, who looks unhappy? And right. uh, we're, we're taking it from there. Yeah. Um, speaking of unhappy, Andrew. Um, how do we how do we segue into this one? I think you just did. Uh, Antonio Conte had things to say, uh, Andrew, um, he had things to say after the defeat at wolves um, which really put a dent in the top four ambitions, but then versus as if they were at home, but yeah. Oh, sorry. Excuse me. Um, <laughs> even worse. Uh, then he's gone to sky Italia. And I think he's thought that we wouldn't be able to crack the code of Italian speak. We wouldn't be able to possibly understand this language. Um, but uh, Italia, football, Italia, the pretty great website has, done the work for us and there's been extracts from an interview which they have cut up and um, i
0: haven't heard this yet
1: you told me about this
0: right before the show i have not seen this yet
1: so he was asked to compare his first season at inter to his to this current start at tottenham hotspur Uh, and this is antonio conte it's always difficult to make comparisons but if i had to find something similar it would be the lack of confidence that is inevitable when you start work at a club that hasn't won in a long time okay I saw some situations from the outside that could be developed. But when you get into it, you realize that's something. What happened in January was not easy. We lost four players in January, four important players for Tottenham, and we brought in only two. Oh, So even just in terms of numbers, rather than reinforce the squad, we are on paper, we, on paper, weakened it. Benton Kerr and Kulishevsky are ideal prospects for Tottenham because Tottenham are seeking young players they can develop and grow not players who are ready. That is the issue.
0: Hmm.
1: And then, this is, this is the killer for me. This is the vision and the philosophy of the club. It is inevitable that if you want to grow quicker and if you want to be competitive more rapidly, you need players with a lot of experience because they also raise the experience level of the overall team. But I repeat, I have realized now that this is the vision of the club. I've said that in a much more ominous way. I don't know if that was his tone of voice. <laughs> he might have been smiling. Yeah, I don't know. Who, who knows? But I, re- um, but I repeat, I have realized no, this is the vision of the club. So, That's not good, Andrew.
0: Well, what, what I would say hearing that just now for the first time is, yeah, you don't, you don't really want to hear that from the manager. You kind of want him to, I don't know, portray some level of it's going to be all right. Um, however, everything he said there is true. And like, it's all things that every Tottenham fan I know talks openly about, like there are confidence issues within this club. Um, it has always been the methodology of this club from a transfer perspective to try to identify guys on the younger side and, and develop them in whatever the Tottenham way is and, you know, hope that they blossom into something that becomes far greater than what they were bought for originally. Um, you know, Bergvine. Uh, you know, like players kind of like that. Like that's so it doesn't. Yeah. Like there's nothing that I could hear there that would be like, huh? Like, where is that coming from? No, he's yeah. Antonio, you've identified it. Like what, where, where did you think you were signing on? That's the point. Where did he think he was going?
1: And, like, and, that, and f- that's
0: why it is important to say that, like, he may not have been saying this angrily. Um, He might've just been kind of pointing out like, look, Cause I know he spoke after uh, the match over the weekend. And, and once again, that old trope that every manager at Tottenham has had to preach at one point or another, after taking over, he had to now parade forth in front of the media and preach it again. And that is patience, you know, telling the fans that we need patience here. So, you know, maybe this is him in some way expounding upon that talking about the players we brought in our projects. These are not guys who are going to come in right away and win Ballon Dors. Like that's just not, that's not what Tottenham do. Um, So maybe this is his way of elaborating on that because yeah, that's, that's where they are right now. Um, And yeah, I'm not, I guess I'm not, I'm not shocked to hear that um, essentially. Yeah. It's, it's funny. I I saw somebody tweet about this and it's like, you look at Tottenham, um, Conte, whatever you think of Mourinho, the one thing we can all agree on is that the man is a serial winner. You know, he, he wins trophies by accident at, at every club he's been to. Yeah. But like between Pochettino, who's now of a level where they, he can manage at PSG Conte, who's won in, in Serie A and in, in the Premier League, Marino, who's won everywhere. Like it could only be Tottenham where none of these guys can win. <laughs> no one's going to win. None of them are going to win a trophy at Spurs. It's like Tottenham are just this weird, they exist in this weird place where they're like, they're just good enough to attract managers like that. And, and those managers want to be there, but they're just bad enough to never, to never win. Like they're just, they're in a zone unto themselves. Like I was talking to you kind of about them before we started recording and I was saying how like, you know, they, we kind of got, we might've gotten fooled during the Pochettino years into thinking that like, you know, that Tottenham were something maybe more than what they are like Tottenham have had, they have a great history, uh, but really they've only had, you know, a few different flashpoints in their history of like being real winners, real contenders. It's not really, it's not really who they are. They're kind of like you say that there's a big six right now in the Premier League but like we even made fun of Tottenham a little bit when they were included in the super league conversation. Like they were sort of like, Oh, we're invited. Nice. What are you doing here? Right? Exactly. We even kind of called it then. Like that's not really what they are. They've never been that. Um, They're not one of the, the big boys. They exist in this other realm. Like they're not Liverpool, United city, Chelsea. They're just not, they're in that weird tier after that, but not like, too far down they're just like exist in this other place well they'll have hot spots here and there and they'll be good but like maybe we just came to expect too much from them from the successes that they had during the pochettino years that that's just not the norm so i don't know for me i i look at a couple things right now with what they're going through part of it is that it's just like maybe expectations need to be measured part of it is like weird form issues like it's unfortunate because hugo laris has maybe been their player of the season and him signing a new contract was really important that was a good thing but his performance over the weekend was so horrifying i couldn't believe it was the same guy <laughs> so like some of it is that some of I it like when you say
1: horrifying it's genuinely you really get to the to the the root of the word
0: but but like some of it also there's some so some of its form some of it is is poor recruitment like by their standards they spent a ton on ndombele Lo Celso, and here we are, we're two years, you know, a couple years after that, neither players on the team, they can't outspend those mistakes. That's not how they operate. Like they spent a ton on Davinson Sanchez. He's the second most expensive signing in their history. He's had an up and down year, which is reasonable. But when they spend like that, that player can't be up and down. That player has got to be consistent at a high level. You know, look at last summer, Brian Hill already out the door, Emerson Royale disastrously bad against Southampton. You know, you hear stories where Barcelona were laughing when they found out what Tottenham were going to be paying. I don't know if those stories are true, but those stories are out there. So, like, the recruitment has always been an issue for them. You know, like like Conte says, they try to find these secret steals, and when you're going to operate that way, every once in a while you'll hit, but you're going to miss a lot more. But
1: I don't know, get what I do. Which know. is what
0: makes the Ndombele thing even more frustrating, because they did hit, because he really is good, and they still got it wrong.
1: Well, <laughs> before we move off this, I just want to say Benton Coor and Kulishevsky I thought were his signings. Why is he complaining about them? And by the way, well, I don't tw- know
0: that he's complaining about them. He's saying we
1: needed more. We lost four guys. We got two back. Neither of whom are superstars, but he said that he kind of intimates that they're not ready. Benton Coor's 24. Kulishevsky 21. They're not children. I don't know.
0: Yeah. I don't know either. Um, And look, this season's not over for them, but like they were, they were in the driving, the driver's seat for top four and they blew it in two games that like, you don't, you you can't blow it in those games, especially the Southampton one when you're you're leading in the 80th and find a way to lose. And like, you look now, you know, and, and all of a sudden like the Leicester city match that they won. Yeah. That was fun. That was a great feel good moment. But like, think if that game had just been normal, think of where they'd be. I mean, they would have really est this, this away. That's the thing about having games at hand. Like you, you, you get, you get taken by seeing, oh, we've only played 20 games and the teams were chasing and played 23 and 24. Oh, this is beautiful. You got to win those games. The other yeah. teams, like they, those games have already been won elsewhere. Yeah, you're right. Nothing is to be taken. Like, so I'm not, I'm going to try to not get smitten ever again. When I see games at hand, cause like got to win those. Yeah, the, just uh, frustrating. Very frustrating. the list of
1: life's the list of life's ple- pleasures for you are just diminishing with every day.
0: <laughs> That's not true. That's not true. But but they are like them as a pleasure is, is diminishing. I mean okay. these these have not been fun. These have not been fun games to watch. And by the way, I should say too, um, this is uh, this might be boring for people to hear me. It is boring. thrown on. Well, you brought it up. You wanted me to do this, you animal. I I should say that like what Southampton did against Tottenham was unbelievable, full credit to them. And like, I, and I continue to fully endorse if, if the Andrews people thing is a real thing, like James Ward Prowse is my people. I love that guy. He's fan. He is just a phenomenal player and one of the most underrated players in the league, or maybe the secrets out. I don't know, but like that was a brilliant performance and their refusal to quit in that game um, was really admirable. And the way wolves, in the first 20 minutes came out against tottenham i couldn't believe it like on the road an underdog to, to perform at that level and just be completely non-shaken in any way um and just go at tottenham like they did and force Larice into dumb mistakes impressive by them too and to then They'd hold on great. i mean tottenham tottenham put it on them like tottenham went for it had good chances um but horrible finishing from Spurs combined with some resolute defending from Wolves. So credit, like, this is not just a Tottenham thing. Those teams also played really well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, not, not super fun right now for, uh, for Tottenham fans. Um, let's bring it back to the States. JJ, uh, Josie Altador says goodbye to Toronto and he is now in at new England. Um, and I find this really, really interesting for one main reason. Um, I can't believe he's 32 and I mean what? that not in an old way. I mean, like in, hear me out for a second here. I'm, I'm already feeling this? eyes rolling. Um, but like, I'm not saying this is going to happen, but I am saying 32 is not old. And in a parallel universe, there's a world where American fans are not complaining about a hole at striker it'd be him for a decade, but injuries, you know, maybe certain decisions of, of where he went to play at certain times. Um, They undid a career where like, and the guy still had 115 caps for the U S men. Um, I just, when I saw he's 32, I was like, God, that's like, that's too young for him to just have been like written off the way he was. Yeah. But for the U S men, it- when there's no, when no one has
1: grabbed a hold of that position injuries have coincided with a, a more youthful look to this team. And don't forget, he is a lightning rod. He is one of those lightning rods.
0: Is that, um, but
1: that's among fans, but like, is that
0: a real world reason for a guy to not be involved for a guy to have no chance of getting in when there's, when there's potentially room for him?
1: I, I think, um, I I don't see him fitting into the kind of the the fluid attack that Berhalter has. I I I couldn't see him in that. I just That's, couldn't, Andrew.
0: Well, another Andrew, um, Andrew Weeby from MLSsoccer.com. Soccer uh, He wrote this about the move for Josie. Uh, he said, <clears throat> "I've said this for the past two years, and I still believe it. If Josie is healthy, yes, still a big if." he's the US's best player at the position. A lot has to happen between now and November, but I think the World Cup ceiling gets raised considerably with a healthy Altador in the squad.
1: Um well first of all, it's it you know, it's such a a you can't put enough weight behind a healthy Altador. You're right. And, that, that's
0: and... that but like that's why I say in a parallel universe because we're not sitting here right now even you who is kind of rolling your eyes a little bit at this idea. You're not doing it because he's not good enough. You're saying it because he's been undone by injuries.
1: Um, I also think he doesn't, like I said before, I don't think he fits into, into that fluid front three that, that Greg Bearhalter would want. I just don't think he does. Um, and I, I'd be happy to prove him wrong. Also, not for nothing, this is an injury-prone player who is now going to play all his home games on a turf surface. Yeah. That worries me to no end. Um, yeah. what may, what made me roll my eyes was Toronto are paying Altador 4.5 million to be rid of the financial obligations to the player. He took in total compensation in 21 3.6 million according to the MLS players association and the reporting of Jeff Carlyle. That is that is mo- in, in MLS terms that is monstrous money. Just monstrous and they needed to get rid especially considering the moves that they've made um, with Lorenzo Insigne.
0: Yeah um well i'll say this about it for new england if it works and again as is the case with all altador conversations if is is certainly the operable word and you raise a great point about him playing games on turf that's not ideal um but like if he's healthy this could this could work like he he's surrounded by legit playmaking weapons up front in bow in heel certainly in heel Um, you know, even legit has just been brought in to new England. So like, there are guys that, that are going to get him in the right positions to do damage. And if he stays healthy, could be interesting. Like if we're in a place where he is, if we're in, you know, late summer and he's been healthy and he's 20 plus goals and new England are flying atop the league, it's going to get interesting. There's going to be some, there's going to be some uncomfortable questions on this podcast about that squad. If, if the U S should qualify.
1: Okay. All right.
0: So many people want to fight me right now. <laughs> I, by the way, I'm not like, I don't mean to be a coward now, but like I'm, I acknowledge the if and like, he's not in my squad. I, I haven't mentioned him at any point in the last two years. Like I've written him off too. But I just, I guess it's just when I saw that 32, that number, I was like, oh, huh. We'll see what happens. Uh, let's see what else you got JJ. Uh,
1: she believes cup kicks off this week. Andrew, um, us, uh, women's national team will face the Czech Republic Thursday night in Los Angeles, along with the Czechs, the Americans will face New Zealand and Iceland in this tournament. Now, maybe that's a lineup of opponents that doesn't really excite you that much. But, um, for me, As we watch this team transition to younger stars, none shine brighter than 19-year-old Trinity Rodman, who we will expect will make her U.S. US women's national team debut over the next week. Um, This was from Caitlin Murray, just to set the scene for her debut. At 19 years old, Rodman clearly has a long and bright future ahead of her. She recently signed a 1.1 million four-year contract that her agency says Will make her the highest-paid player in the NWSL. Hmm. She was also named U.S. Soccer's Young Female Player of the Year for 2021. She's an assist machine. She's one of the most exciting players, and um, I, I, I think if I'm looking for if I'm looking for the new star of this U.S. Women's National Team, and I, I admit a lot of the old stars are exiting the stage in a much slower fashion than I expected but you know that's a lot of veterans to move on at one point um i think she's going to steal a lot of the limelight. Um, just a brilliant player and if i'm looking forward to one player coming through it's definitely her.
0: definitely. and there's so much hype. um so yeah. There's a lot. There's a so you know right there is a huge reason to to be interested and in, and in on this. um i will say you mentioned the opponents. uh so only once ever in this tournament had a, a team ranked outside of the top fifteen in FIFA's world rankings taken part? All three of the U.S.'s opponents in this are ranked below fifteenth. So this is a weird, just from from the the participants. Uh, this is a little different, um, and then even from the U.S.'s perspective, this is a little bit different. In so it, this tournament uh, two years ago in 2020 when they played it. The average number of caps for a U.S. women's national team player two years ago was uh, 107. So, that like you talk about it, one of the most experienced teams ever. Here we are two years later, and it's just 40 caps per, per player on average, one of the least experienced U.S. teams ever. So, there's a little bit of a changing of the guard going on here. And, and Trinity Rodman is, is certainly speaks to that. Um, one thing that'll be interesting, JJ, also with this, the U S has not allowed a goal at home in almost two years. They beat Japan three, one March 11th, 2020. That's, <laughs> they have that's not a... allowed a goal at home since then. And by the way, it's not just, that they haven't allowed a goal. They barely allowed a chance. Their uh, there are shots on target per match. So over that's four, 14 straight home clean sheets. And they average less than one shot allowed on target over the course of those. Like, they just have the ball forever. Yeah. And I would, I even an in inexperienced side, I would anticipate
1: more of that. If people want, there's a great um, profile of uh, Trinity Rodman written by my fellow countryman, Dave Hannigan for the Irish times last month, January 20th. Uh, you can Google that. It's really, really interesting.
0: Um, concave champions. League got underway. Uh, don't have a ton to say on it. night. Really nice win for NYCFC. Um, Tati Castellanos still a member of NYCFC and playing a, a huge role for them. Um, Two 0 really uh, a nice start for them. The one one thing I wanted to mention is uh, we talked about New England before. Very bizarre circumstances for them. They are yeah. through to the quarterfinals because their opponents uh, AS Cavalry had to uh, had to bow out because of visa issues. Yeah, uh, so
1: which is just one of the most Concacaf things that can happen. <laughs> um. But uh, there's, um, there's a couple of games uh, tomorrow night. Uh, Comuniciones will play Colorado. Um, and Motogoya will play Seattle Sounders. And as you can tell, these aren't the best oh, no. teams. I've never heard of them. Da, 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 da. I don't know. You sounded so comfortable good. pronouncing them. Yeah, I butchered those, uh, butchered those names and I apologize to everyone involved for doing that. But um, yeah, I'm sorry. Guatemalan champions, they, um, I should know them off the, top, off the tip of my tongue.
0: JJ, were you into the mailbag here or are you, you got anything else?
1: Yeah, no, just uh, finally, finally, before we hit the mailbag, pay attention to Syria, uh, Andrew. We've got a title race. Um, after Milan won the Derby versus Inter a couple of weeks ago, things have continued to get spicy. Three teams in the hunt. Napoli and Inter played out a 1-1 draw at the weekend, while league leaders Milan got a narrow win against Sampdoria to keep them a point ahead of their crosstown rivals. Right now, Milan have 25 games played. They sit atop the league on 55 points. Inter have 24. They're on 54 points. And on 53 points in third, Napoli, who have 25 games played. It's just so tight. It's a genuine race. We don't have many of them in the top uh, five leagues this season and by the way Juventus in four a seven point gap between them and Napoli yeah so um, that's um, pretty interesting but I don't I don't
0: know that you can quite write off the La Liga and Bundesliga title races I mm. expect Real Madrid and Bayern Munich to win those but that's
1: enough you've answered your own question
0: there well, but Real Madrid they're only four points up I mean that's not that's not a massive gap Bayern Munich are six up on Borussia Dortmund that that should be enough but I mean, it's a two match swing potentially. So you can't say that, that, it, that it's over in the way that, you know, we are saying in, in the Premier League. I don't think that's quite, it's not
1: quite to that level, uh, but I, Mail get, I get your point. I get your point. Mail BZ now. Sorry for speaking across you there. That was rude. Uh, Caughtoffsidepod at gmail.com. At Soccer Pod on Twitter, CutoffsideESPN on the Instagram. Follow us there. Leave us reviews and likes, do the whole thing. Uh, Just to begin, Andrew, I have seen the Wayne Rooney documentary, which dropped last Friday on Amazon Prime. Um, My thoughts on it are it's good. It's definitely worth watching. It is not as good as the podcasts and interviews and everything else ancillary to the documentary. Um, Sometimes these documentaries, the conversations that go on around the player are much more interesting than the actual documentary. But um, I think next week I'll talk a bit more about Rooney. um, And I want you to see the documentary first as well. So that would be good. Um, Cole Repka, who sounds like a fullback West Ham, would have signed in the 90s. My buddy had free ticks to a war on drugs show. I didn't know much by them, but went on JJ's recommendation at the end of the pod a few weeks ago. Great show with 80s vibes, as you said. Uh, Cole, it, it blows my mind that people take my recommendations, but uh, I'm so glad you went, man. Um, speaking of just amazing interactions with listeners, I guess, Luis Enrique Lille, we're invited. Uh, Hey guys, first and foremost, we are both huge fans of the pod. My name is Luis and I wanted to personally invite you both to our baby shower. Hope (laughs) to see you there. Um, I won't give away the address, but it's on the West coast. Uh, um, next month.
0: That's very that? nice. Uh, that's gonna be a t- that's a tough ask.
1: March twentieth. Yeah, it's gonna be tough. I'm gonna be in Ireland, so oh, okay. I won't be able to go. But I'm just gonna tell. I'm just gonna RSVP that you'll be there. Probably an hour <laughs> early. Well, that's I'm what polite. you like to do. Yeah. No, I'll be right uh, on time. What an unbelievable thing, though. We're getting invited to baby showers now.
0: That's an interesting
1: is, choice for you and I. I don't think we'd be. I mean, I'd worry about us at a baby shower, how drunk we'd get, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I would
0: think, uh, well, that's, that's extremely nice. Um, I think I'm. I don't know. Put me down as a maybe and we'll, we'll revisit it as we get.
1: closer. Um, Hastings, any chance you guys could recommend either from experience or knowledge, a lower league match day atmosphere in England. I'll be traveling around Great Britain slash Wales. No, it's the same thing. And um, would lo- love a cold, windy night in Stoke or the like. So, right. so you're going you're to answer this one. I would just say quickly, I go along to, if you can get a chance, I go along and uh, visit uh, Loftus Road and watch QPR. Okay. I went, there, I went there once and I enjoyed it. All
0: right. So here's what I did. Um, I went through and looked. I, I just kind of googled lower league best match day experiences. Okay. In in England, and I came across this. Now it's a little bit dated, but not so much so that like we're talking about a bygone era. In 2017, JJ four four two magazine, very famous magazine, ranked the match day experience in all 92 English stadiums. So Excellent. every every league team. They ranked every single one from dead last all the way up to number one. I will start by giving you who was 92nd. That was Coventry. Um, so I guess my first advice to Hastings would be just to not go to a, a Coventry match. Here were your top three. And I can, all, I, you're going to hate number one. Um, but these were literally top three, not like on the whole list, not just lower league or, or non-premier league, but like the, on the whole list, one through 92. Number three was Bradford. Okay. Uh, Number two, I can see you. I I think you'll like this one. They went with Sheffield United. All right. And number one, I'm so stunned by this. I can't even believe it. I'm not sure if it's a joke. I don't think it is. Number one, West Brom. The Hawthorns. Really? Yeah. Was there like all the years when they go up and down and, and we'd watch them a lot in the Premier League? I don't know. Was there ever a time watching... A game at, at the Hawthorns where you were like, that
1: place is a cauldron. Oh, only I think when they stayed up on the last day with the yes. Ken Richardson goal. That was it though. Yeah, they when they the fans invaded the pitch. Like that was yeah. a great scene, but like I don't know. I just that shocked. Never
0: would have thought that. Like
1: so it's it's a cauldron. It's got a great atmosphere well, here. You're so coasting. here
0: I I included what they said about it. All right, said, uh, combines the best features of a Premier League football ground, modernized in the last 20 years to bring the facilities up to a good level, but the stadium still retains its own identity. The atmosphere can be electric on a good day. When the boing-boing chant gets going, the home fans are literally bouncing. Away fans are well-placed behind the goal with good views, and the stadium is also handily located near the M5. More often than not, it's an enjoyable away day at a stadium that epitomizes what English football is all about. West Brom.
1: So there you go. There you go. You've done your research. I I, honestly, I suppose the brand of football and their position in the table has maybe skewed us against them. But we, I mean, we, I never thought that anyone would say that. I Um, couldn't believe it. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, that's a good shout. Also, maybe he he wants like Barnett, Boreham Wood, teams like that. You can look those up on your own. Hastings, you don't need us for that. That's real lower league stuff. I mean, how low do you want to go? That's the question. Yeah. Um, Where is Dub? In all honesty, did you tear up when you saw the Sopranos Chevrolet ad during the Super Bowl? I got to say, I loved it. I really liked it. It was very, very simple, very well executed. And um, I love the fact it was an electric car as well. And it was great to see Meadow. Uh, Jamie Lynn Sigler looks amazing. She looks great. And Robert Eiler looks great too. So I, I really liked it. I, a lot of people thought it wasn't that good. You know, there was a lot of hype, but you got to remember the minute that music played like Sopranos fans, the hardcore of us, we suddenly were taken to a different place. So um, I don't understand what people would say wasn't good about it. Oh, people said it was a bit, you know, it, it actually wasn't that clever, wasn't that well done. And it was just fan service or just basically show us Meadow driving the route that Tony Soprano drove. And that's enough for us. That was the kind of argument.
0: Maybe maybe that's Which... true, actually. I guess it wasn't a ton more than that, and I enjoyed it. But all right, yeah, maybe that's fair. Uh,
1: Bob Duggan, will there be turf talk about your snowpocalypse game this weekend? Uh, yes, Bob, there will. It begins now. Welcome <clears throat> to Turf Talk on NPR. Uh, we played, Andrew, in conditions that were just – I mean, Rob is the is the man, coach, manager, player of, of the team that I'm training with right now, SV Yellowhook. Uh, out of the Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. And um, we turned up for training on Sunday morning. And and the field, the the snow was the big wet snow, so it didn't stick on the road. It didn't stick on the pavements. The field was like Iceland. It was like the Arctic. It was completely covered. And uh, we decided we'd play. And it was was challenging. There was no doubt it was challenging, but it was a lot of fun. And I decided to put myself in goal. Um, so I what a around. coward! Oh yeah, sprinting in that. I did the warm up, <laughs> took the guys through the warm up, uh, got everybody warmed up, and then had a look at it and thought, I'm a guy with two ACLs and a herniated disc in in, in my recent past. I am not doing this. So I played in goal and made a few outstanding saves. Yeah. Um, one from um, our uh, number ten, uh, Jesus, who came up to me afterwards and said, "Oh man, I saw that going into the net, and then out of nowhere you saved it." And I said, "Stop, Jesus, come on." please. I can't.
0: It's just what I do.
1: Thibaut Courtois. It's what I do. Uh, But it was, it was tremendous fun and nobody got hurt. There you go. I say nobody. Chris Lau rolled his Mm -hmm. ankle. So, um, I hope Chris, Chris is doing okay. Finally, uh, DJ with really one of the great questions. I opened this up for other questions beyond football, by the way, just to Mm -hmm. mix it up a bit. Is Guinness truly better in Ireland? Um, And just like you, Andrew, I did some research. Uh, Guinness does taste better in Ireland. Uh, I can tell you where the great places in New York are, where you can get, get a good point. But the reason it tastes different, let's just put it that way. I don't want to put anybody out of business, but the reason it's different is that it is pasteurized for the trip to America. So a keg of beer will last longer. And in the pasteurization process, it is believed, according to a New York Times article I read from 1982, that that changes the taste. And so the keg that you will be served Guinness from over here in the United States has a longer shelf life than the one you'll get from Ireland. Um, it's mm. months and months in the difference. And that pasteurization process is believed to change the taste. So when
0: I was there,
1: yes, I do remember consciously thinking this is better.
0: Yeah. But then I was like, you're just being that guy who likes yeah. saying that,
1: but <laughs> maybe there's science behind it that's not you though. You're not, you're not that guy though.
0: Right. Like, cause that's, that's a guy, like, you know, that we all know that guy who's like, oh. like we, if you're at a bar with that guy in New York and you all get Guinnesses, he won't get it. Cause he'll say, trust right. me, I've been to Dublin. I can never have another Guinness here again. It's yeah, just I, like, he needs to be the one to let everyone know that. And I don't want to be that guy. I like to like things and I don't want to rain on other people's happiness. So I don't want to be that guy. But I remember being in Dublin and thinking this, what I've heard is kind of true. This actually does,
1: does taste better. We, we all know that guy, don't we? That will just in the middle, like, you know, you be about to drink your pint. He'll push the glasses to the top of his nose, to the bridge of his nose. And he'll go, yeah, good luck with that one. And then he'll tell you the story of how he had it authentically. You know, yep. it's, it's like nothing you do will ever top his experience of it. We all, yeah, know he's, that guy. he's, he's a one upper. Yeah. Uh,
0: he's smug. Um, well, on the office, they always referred to Oscar as uh, actually, right? Wasn't that their nickname for him because he always came in with sentences that started with "Well, well actually,", actually... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, this this Guinness is so good. Well, actually, there's science behind the fact that it's not as good as the Guinness you could have in Ireland. Oh, thanks. Yeah, was I well actually guy there? No, I no, I think what you actually did there was interesting. It
1: was a so little you know, like
0: to kind of affirm people's feelings like myself that was like am I being that guy for thinking that it's better here and you're saying no you're you're not being that guy it actually is better so yeah. thank you
1: it's a public okay. service what you did that's the podcast guys
0: Whew. wow what if we just ended it like that instead of you know going through all our pleasantries and saying goodbye what if it just like suddenly someone just said that's the podcast guys and bang that was the end
1: like the Sopranos
0: <laughs> <laughs> don't Kinda. stop no, we're still here, sorry. <laughs> uh, well, this was fun, man. We will enjoy uh, all the action this weekend. We'll be back with another podcast next week, another Champions League week next week,
1: right? So, Yeah, we'll and we're going to be in studio as well. And, and you're going to have fixed the drop board so I can get really into it.
0: Oh, okay. You've yep. given me an assignment. All right, I'll get to it. Don't you worry. Uh, happened, folks. This was fun, man. I enjoyed this. Always enjoy a good Champions League knockout stage week. Love it. Love that it's back. Hey, to you, I say... Check you later, phone boy. I'll see you later, man. Take care, brother. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast.